Morning. If you don't know me, my name's Tree, or Teresa, but yes, everyone calls me Tree, so that's weird. Am I a bit echoey? Yeah. Shall I just carry, shall I just crack on? I'll just crack on. So, right, so before I start, there are two ways that you can know if the Holy Spirit is working. Resonance and resistance. So while I'm speaking today, I just want you to be conscious of possibly a physiological response to what's being said. You might get sweaty palms, your heart might start to race, you might want to leg it out the door, or you might have resonance where you think, actually, yes, this is what God's been challenging me about. So just be conscious of that because this isn't arrogance, but I believe that God has something to do and say today that I really think will unlock parts of us and will completely transform lives. We don't come to church just to listen to a sermon and sing a few songs and go home. This is where we get transformed. This is where the work starts and then it carries on in your daily life and then you come back and it carries on again. Um, so, yeah, I just want us to be conscious of challenge and responsive. Okay. Right, so I'm also going to have the caveat that context is everything, okay? I'm very aware I'm sharing this word to a Western church. We have access to resources. Um, it's challenging. I understand that. I also understand the context of poverty, okay? So please understand that when I'm saying the things that I'm, understand, well, that I'm saying, this isn't me speaking against poverty, okay? I'm not, I'm not doing prosperity teaching. That's not what I'm doing. So just, I want to set that context up um, in the hopes that you'll hear my heart. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to start with a couple of significant points in my life. You always know that if I'm speaking, I tend to bear my soul. So I tend to just, you get what, what I am, really. I don't really hide anything. So buckle up. Um, <laughs> so when I was um, growing up, so my dad's a minister, and when my parents were training at Bible college, we had no money. When I say no money, I mean no money, no income, nothing coming in, right? Um, and at that time, my parents had three children, all under the age of five. Um, two of us slept in the lounge with my parents, and one of us slept in the kitchen, okay? So there's your context. But... And that carried on through life. So throughout my dad's ministry, we didn't have money. We didn't have much income. But we were taught that we were living by faith. Okay, so our paradigm was one of faith, that if you wanted something or if you needed something, you would pray, God would give you what you need, and that was how we lived. So an example of that, which is kind of like folklore in our family, is that my older sister, Claire, wanted a red coat. She was about five, and she just wanted a red coat. And she said to my parents, you know, I just really want a red coat. Just want it. And I want it to look like this. I want to have buttons. And, and my parents' response was, well, well, we'll pray then. So if you want a red coat, we'll pray. And you can all imagine the end of this story. The next day, an envelope drops on the floor. Oh, thank you. He's good, isn't he? Um, an envelope dropped on the floor. And in that envelope was £10, right? We're in the 80s, £10 is a lot of money, okay? It's not now, but it was then. So the first thing my mum does is go to Claire and say, 
Well, we can buy your red coat. God's provided it. Let's go to the shop and there will be a red coat. Lo and behold, there's a red coat. And my sister gets the red coat that she felt she needed because we had a strong belief system that we were enough, we were living by faith, God would provide all of our needs. There would always be enough food and enough money for what we needed. That was our mindset as a family. And one thing I was reflecting with my sisters this weekend, and we were talking about the black bag. Well, I don't know if you've grown up as a pastor's kid, your clothes come in a black bag because the church has a clear out and then they bless you with the black bag. So <laughs> we used to get really excited when the black bag came. And because we lived by faith, the way you got the purple jumper if you wanted the purple jumper was when the purple jumper got pulled out of the bag, you went, I prayed for that. <laughs> and my dad would go to my sisters, did you pray for that? Yeah, I did, Dad. Yeah, she prayed for that, so I think that's... He had to get in there quick. I got a pair of Doc Martens once because I prayed for them. <laughs> so, so that was... Possibly you might think, oh, that's a bit of a childlike faith, you know, and, oh, it's because you were children, and... That followed me until I was 13, okay? And then when I was 13, our world fell apart. The bottom just got pulled out from under us. So my dad's ministry, through no fault of his own, was decimated. And, you know, I could go into the details, but it was horrendous. It involved my dad having to run out of a church, it involved us as a family being given 28 days. My, mom, my parents at that time had five children. So it involved them getting a letter to say, you've got 28 days to get out of your house. So we were homeless. My dad lost his income. My mum wasn't working. She had five children. Um, and immediately, we went into flux. And what happened then was, we'd had scarcity, but now we had scarcity and fear. And now we had a belief system that nothing is permanent because that lasted then. So my dad went into a deep depression. My mom had to kind of carry the family for the next, until I was 21. Um, and in that moment, and I've, I've spoken to my sisters and they also agree with this and my brother, in that moment, we all learned, right, nothing is permanent, okay? Everything can be taken away from you. Nothing's guaranteed. Don't dream. There's never gonna be enough money. There's never enough love for you. Security is not, you, there is nothing like security. It doesn't happen. And our response to that was, you need to grab what you can get and you need to keep hold of it. That's a scarcity mindset. That has nothing to do with how much I have or how much I don't have. So I'll go on to how that's affected my life in a bit. But I literally have lived my life with that mindset. And it hasn't mattered how much money I've got, hasn't mattered how great my relationships are, that's my, that has been my mindset. So if we go back to Malachi, um, if you remember, Jamie's question at the end of last week was, are you working out of fear or faith? So are your decisions out of fear or faith? I would say that my decisions until deliverance, there's a happy ending, so don't worry. <laughs> it's going to go dark and then we're going to come out. Okay, so don't worry, just come with me in the darkness, then I'll bring you out the other side. So Israel is actually described in Malachi as showing partiality in the matters of law. Okay, so bear in mind that scarcity mindset. So you've got a people of Israel who have 
been exiled from Egypt, so historically, this is their heritage. They've been exiled from Egypt, so having been slaves, they were exiled. Then having been exiled, they went to the promised land and they went into the wilderness, sorry, and then even in the wilderness, there was manna and honey. So always their needs were met. That is their heritage. Then they get into the promised land and they're in the land of plenty. They're then exiled from the promised land and then they begin to return after 100 years. They return from Babylon. So they've experienced scarcity because they've again been exiled. And then they, as they start to come back, instead of thinking, well, this is fine, we're going back now. Let's remember our heritage. Let's remember who we were. They forget God's faithfulness. So in Malachi 1 verse 2, the prophet says that the Lord says, I've always loved you. And they respond, really? How have you loved us? Scarcity, forgetting, how have you loved me? And he says, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. So they'd been returned to the promised land. They'd been exiled, but they became preoccupied with their circumstance. And their reaction to that was to apply partiality to the laws. So what that meant was they kept their best animals to themselves. So they were required to give their best animals, if you remember last week. Um, they withheld their tithe. They kept the grain out of the storehouse. They kept that in that house. Scarcity mindset. I've got it now. I'm not going to share it because I don't know how long this is going to last. And they wouldn't obey the law of bringing grain. The purpose of bringing grain is set out in Deuteronomy. It's for the poor. The third tithe was for the poor. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 28, you can see that So in Deuteronomy, it sets out the laws for the Israelites. And it says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And then in Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, the law says, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Uh, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. By applying partiality, by not following that law, or by following that law in part, they were creating scarcity. So that thing that they were afraid of, they were holding it to themselves, so their household might have been okay, but the Israelites, as a people, were suffering and were, in Malachi said, under a curse. So why would a nation with their heritage behave like that? because they'd forgotten that they were loved by God. In that moment, when my dad lost his ministry and we lost our house, and my parents still said, well, we need to pray for a house. We need to pray for a house. Yeah, 28 days later, yes, we were homed, but it didn't feel like a miracle anymore. It didn't feel like provision. I'd forgotten that I was loved by God. And my relationship with God became transactional. I thought, okay, so if I do this, you'll do that. So if I behave in that way, you'll do this. And your relationship with God isn't a transactional relationship. It's a collaborative relationship. It's a reciprocal relationship. It's a he blesses me, I bless. 
they are blessed, then they're blessed by. It, there's a circular nature to the character of God where he wants to bless you, but he wants you to understand that he wants to bless you. It's not about what you do in order for him to love you. He loves you anyway. So just to clarify, scarcity mindset, it's not a physical, it's not about physical limitation, okay? So it's not um, about how much you have or how much you don't have. It's a belief system. So it's a belief system about how the world works, but it's also a belief system about how God works. So you essentially believe that there isn't enough to go around. So resources are limited. If you have, I can't have. If God's given it to you, that means he's blessed you, he won't bless me. Um, so you can have money in the bank and you can have food on the table and you can still fear lack. It won't feel safe. It doesn't feel secure. It doesn't feel like it belongs to you. You can have a brilliant marriage and you can be consumed with your insecurities. You can be surrounded by friends and have great relationships but harbour competitive feelings. And you're just acutely aware of how unfulfilled your life is. And the world, the world does a really great job, doesn't it, of like pummeling this into us. You know, I, I was driving the other day and I thought, I wonder how many things I'll see that I'm supposed to get. I wonder how many adverts. And I, by the end of it, I was kind of overwhelmed by advert after advert after, after, oh, you need this now, or you need this now, or you need to buy that. Just overwhelmed with, if you don't have this now, or, you know, the media at the moment is, oh, next year you're all going to be lacking, just so you know. It's just, you're overwhelmed by this lack, and it feeds this scarcity mindset. It, fear, it feeds the fear. Scarcity, so if you actually have scarcity, if you, if you are poor and you, you, know, you, you are trying to make everything work and make ends meet, your mind is automatically and powerfully pushed towards unfilled need. It consumes you. So you, you become entirely preoccupied and it's justifiable. It's, it's an understandable reaction. But when that starts to feed into your mindset and into your neural pathways, it starts to create the preoccupation with getting and keeping and you get locked in fear and comparison and envy. And the irony of scarcity is that it causes scarcity. The Israelites were causing their own scarcity. We cause our own scarcity. And actually, studies that have looked at the brain have actually shown that people who are consumed with scarcity and have a scarcity mindset find it very difficult to plan ahead. So they really can't make wise decisions. So theoretically, they can, but in practice, it's really difficult to make a really wise decision about the future when you need to think about what food I've got to put on the table tonight. So you're more likely to respond to what feels like the immediate need, and that's not always in the healthiest way, and you apply a false economy across all of your life. When I'm saying you, I'm saying me, because this is what I lived like, okay? So you get the scarcity loop. Let's have a look at the scarcity loop. So this is the scarcity loop. You have fear that causes anxiety. You make poor choices that are immediate choices. You know, you buy the boots that are going to fall apart, it's a very silly example, but you buy the boots that are going to fall apart in two weeks that are then going to need to buy another pair of boots, you're then going to need to buy another pair of boots. You don't think about buying the ones that are going to last you for a lifetime because the immediate need is this, and I can only respond to it out of what I have. Then you get negative outcomes, and then that feeds your fear. And it bleeds into every aspect of your life. I promise you it's going to get happier. 
<laughs> Feeling everybody go like, oh, gosh. <laughs> Honestly, it's going to get to... So it means that, as I said, your financial decisions, you think about what you want rather than what you can afford. You make reactive decisions. You avoid money. It can affect health. So this is, you know, psychologists will talk about scarcity mindset and how it affects people's attitude to their health. Um, and it affects your relationships because even if you're in a good relationship, you assume it will end. There's an assumption that this is... There's a lack to this. This isn't abundant. This doesn't go on forever. And it makes you assume if you're in a bad relationship that if I stop this relationship, there isn't going to be anything else out there. In friendships, again, with my sister, we were talking about friendships and we were reflecting on school and how badly we were treated by people, but we just thought, oh, well, this is what friendship is. Like, I don't, I'm probably not deserving of anything, anything else. And also, you can be competitive in friendship. So when your friend has success, your immediate response is, oh, well, that means I can't have success now because you've had your part of the pie and there's no more for me. So how does that affect our relationship with God? We actually fear that if we trust God, he will leave us impoverished, he will leave us alone, and he will leave us unable to survive. And so if we don't believe that God will supply all of our needs, we'll set about trying to get them ourselves. We'll try to meet our needs ourselves. So here's my third story. And this is me really, I'm really being honest with you people, okay? <laughs> so go gentle with me afterwards at coffee. So <clears throat> I had a scarcity mindset, and so I applied that to everything in my life. And let me give you a direct opposite mindset is Paul, my husband, who has an abundant mindset. He grew up in poverty in the same way that I did, but he has an absolute assurance of the provision of his heavenly father. There isn't a doubt in his mind that God will provide all of our needs. So there's your comparison. That's where we live. Paul is heading towards this dream that we've got. Of he wants to build his own house and he's making all steps towards it. And on the surface, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. What? Yeah, behind you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really believe that. Yeah. In the background, I'm living in lack. And what I'm doing is I'm building up debt because I'm responding to immediate need. So I'm going, oh, uh, the kids need that. Well, that's going to cost that. Have we got enough? We probably have, but I don't want to ask him because that's his dream. I don't want to, right, I'll just pay for it. And I started to build up debt. Now, this wasn't managed debt. I understand there's something about managed debt. A mortgage is managed debt, for example, you've got a plan. This wasn't managed debt. This was me squirreling and hiding and struggling. And I held that secret in my life, apart from my husband, for years. And it built and it built and it built. And I didn't believe, well, A, I believed that if I told him, he would leave me. I believed that God wouldn't provide it because I've been so bad this is so sinful. I really, I don't think you can forgive me of this. So I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it. And it came to a point where I was having really dark thoughts and really dark thoughts. So you can imagine what those thoughts were. Um, because I didn't think that there was any other way out. That was, that was my scarcity mindset. So then Paul asks me out of the blue, is there something you're hiding from me? 
And in that moment, I think, he's going to leave me. This is it. Right, this is it. Prepare for the right, prepare. It's all going to fall apart. <clears throat> and I told him, abundant mindset, abundant in love, totally submitted to the purposes and ways of God, just said, oh, my goodness, why didn't you tell me? Oh, well, we can sort, yeah, we'll just sort that out. That's okay. And I couldn't. <laughs> I just can't, and I still can't get, my, I can't get my breath over that. I still can't understand. But that was an abundant mindset. He was responding out of grace. He responded out of love and absolute trust that it needs to be out in the open and we need to deal with it and God will bless us because we've opened ourselves to him. So the key points were in that time, I was never out of work. I was working. We had a good house. We could always afford the bills, even if it was at zero at the end of every month, we could always afford the bills. I had a really good husband. I feared money. I feared God and not in a respectful fear. I feared that he would take from me. And I made temporal and reactive decisions. And it got to the point where I lost control. But in the moment that I encountered abundance, I was delivered. It changed me. It gave me the potential that God will bless. Romans 7 and 8, Paul discusses the freedom of faith. And as I was reading it, I just thought, oh, yeah, that's how, that's how that felt. This is how it felt. Where it says, he talks about the law and, it, you know, the law caused him to stumble. And, and he says... Sin seizing the opportunity, so you shall not covet, but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that every commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin seizing the opportunity deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. And then he says... I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. My scarcity mindset was sin living in me, propelling me all the time. That was the thing that propelled me through life. And I did get to the point of, in Romans 8, in Romans 7, where he says, who will rescue me from this body? that is subject to death. I got to the point where I was like, I can't live like this anymore. I can't. This mindset is destroying me. It's just creating death in my marriage, in my family. I'd been in meetings, and this is where I said about resistance. I'd been in meetings, and I'd heard sermons, and I'd read the Bible, and it was always with a loving correction of God, like, bring it to the light. So when it was a little bit of death, bring it to the light. Let me sort it out. It's all right. It's sorted. I've got it. Don't worry bit more, bring it to the light every time I was in church, every time I heard sermons. I literally, so when I said about resistance, every sermon that talked about money, my palms were sweaty, my heart was going, I wanted to run. Even now, because it's a physiological, it's kind of a neural pathway that I'm fighting against all the time. Even now, with Jamie talking about money for the past two to three weeks, I've sat on the front row and my flight response has been in tense. <laughs> just like, stay still, watch, <laughs> listen. <laughs> because it's that neural pathway of like, oh, we don't like this, this is scary. 
But then came an answer to who can rescue me. In Romans 8, it says, I was so ashamed, right? A scarcity mindset produces so much shame. And it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. And we're on the up now, people, for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And it says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires, scarcity. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires, abundance. The mind governed by the flesh is death, scarcity. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace, abundance. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It cannot do, I could not because I was so consumed. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, and this is what we need to get our heads around. This is what I encountered. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our children that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And this is the key to transforming your scarcity mindset. It's a, it's a total paradigm shift. It's a totally countercultural way of looking at the world. The world is consumed with scarcity of what we won't have of what we need to get. God is consumed with abundance. So if we look at that cycle again, this, the um, fierce scarcity loop, is it there? So if we go to the one where it's got two on it, is there one a bit further wrong with two? There you go. So when, you're in a, when you've got an abundant mindset, so when you believe the promises of God and you live in his promises, you wake every day grateful for that thing that you have. You know, I've been through illness, so I've been through real scarcity. But because I had an abundant mindset, because God had delivered me from the scarcity mindset, I woke up thankful every day for things. And when you're thankful, you have peace of mind because you know God is in control, which means you make wise choices. So while you deal with the everyday, you also know that if you've got debt, that has to be paid off. You know, I didn't then turn around and go, oh, well, that's all right, then God's forgiven me, leave the debt, let's move on. We still had to deal with the debt. We still had to do the wise thing um, and deal with that. Once you've had those positive outcomes, you're then grateful and you get into a much healthier cycle. So if you ask any psychologist, researcher, life coach, how do I scare, change my scarcity mindset? They will always say, just focus on abundance. So shift your thinking to abundance. And I really love it when I, when I think, oh, I wonder what the world says. I wonder what psychologists, clever people say about it. Oh, the same as the Bible. Funny that. That's <laughs> because that's wherever scarcity is the problem, with God, abundance is always the response. So in Romans 3, verse 23 to 24, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scarcity. Okay. Then it says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Abundance. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. 
The scriptures are full of promises that when we turn towards God and when we live according to his promises and live according to his teachings, there is abundance. And again, I'm not talking about prosperity teaching. I'm not talking about all your problems go away in an instant. I'm saying that you're not alone in them, that he carries you through, that he provides all of your needs according to his riches in glory. There are loads of examples where abundance was the response to scarce, scarcity. Like David and Goliath. David had a few stones, and Goliath was a massive man, you know. And yet David had the absolute confidence that, oh, no, I can stare him down because God's with me. So he didn't respond to the situation that was in him. He just had absolute confidence in God. Um, Daniel in the lion's den, massive lion in front of me. I might just go to sleep because God is with me. You know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fire. Massive fire, should be consumed. Jesus is with me. Absolute assurance of the faithfulness and the abundance of God. And then, you know, the central tenet of our faith, the resurrection, Jesus died, you can't get much scarcer than that. And then abundance raised again. Peter let Jesus down, scarcity in relationship. Jesus restored him. So what's the point of abundance then? Why bother? Safety, scarcity feels really safe. It, I felt very safe up to a point when I felt like I had control of everything or I thought I had control of everything. Apart from the fact that it frees up your life and it frees up your thinking, in Corinthians it says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give us his, as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is also able to make all grouse, grace, grouse, grace, we might have grouse, grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, abundance, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So the point of abundance mindset is not only its effect on you, it's its effect on the people around you. So here are some questions. What would your financial situation look like if you applied God's teaching and trusted in his abundance? What would your work life look like if you were seeing opportunities and responding to them instead of assuming that this is the best of it and it's not going to get any better than this? What would your relationships look like? How much more trusting would you be? Which parts of yourself would you share that you're keeping back at the moment? How would your friendships improved if you stopped being competitive and celebrated your friends' successes? How manageable or how would your challenges look when you considered them in the context of a limitless God who loves you unswervingly and is faithful to you? There are some practical ways that um, John Maxwell gives about how you can start to address that scarcity mindset if you experience it in any way in any part of your life because just because I've dealt with it in one area of my life it still rears its ugly head in other areas so I have to be constantly conscious of challenging it and changing my mindset the first is offer words of appreciation so actually tell people that you value them they want to know that they matter your influence can actually increase their abundant thinking because they hear that they matter, they hear that they are valued. 
Choose to see opportunity so the next time you're faced with an obstacle, consider it. How do I work this round with you, God? How do I serve this, move this for your purposes? Remind yourself that there is more than enough. Don't compare yourself to others. There's plenty of the pie to go around. He says to carefully select the company you keep. So if you're working really hard on an abundant mindset and you're really working hard on having positive relationships, mindsets are contagious. So be around people that will support you in that. Spend time in reflection, so learn to acknowledge and appreciate the positives in your life and in your work. Um, and actually... This is what I find really interesting, that even in the world, they understand that the way that you address a scarcity mindset is to give more of what you want or give more than what you're giving now. It sounds counterintuitive, but the way to increase your abundance is to give. So if you don't have enough time, reduce some obligations and give time to something that is a worthy cause. Be a river, not a reservoir. Scarcity mindset makes you go like this. But an abundant mindset makes you give. Okay. I also understand that it's not as easy as that. <laughs> and one thing I know is that deep-seated mindsets have developed neural pathways. Your brain reacts. It sends off, fires off, um, you know, fires off stuff, I don't know. <laughs> but fires off, you know, uh, directions to your brain. React like this, have this response, do this. Like I said, my flight response is huge when people talk about money because that was the, that was the central part of my fear. Um, it still is. Still, I still have to really work hard on it. Um, but I also know that an encounter with the Holy Spirit can divert those neural pathways. You see, you, there's therapy and therapy works and that helps, but God knows how your brain works. And that sounds so simplistic, but he kind of designed it. So he kind of knows how it works. So he knows how to divert a pathway. So actually there are some things that I believe only the Holy Spirit can do. And only an act of surrender on our part to him um, can deliver us from some of these thoughts. So I believe that the Holy Spirit has been at work through the worship. You might have been feeling resistance. You might have been feeling resonance. Um, and so now, as the worship team come back, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that resistance or resonance.